I remember just getting like really panicky, like, no, I have to figure this out right now because my my son's going to come home from school in like two hours and I have to know what to say. When Holly's son was considering suicide, she called a Focus on the Family counselor. All those years I'd been listening to Focus, I was thinking about how they were like that practical guide for me. That was sound advice I could get from them. I didn't really know where else to turn. I'm Jim Daly. Working together, we can rescue hurting parents like Holly and give families hope. We need the truth that Focus on the Family brings into our minds and into our homes. We need that if we're going to raise up the next generation of believers to walk in obedience and to walk in the truth that God loves us. Donate today at FocusOnTheFamily.com hope and your gift will be doubled. Almost every parent has probably heard this request at some point. Daddy, can you read me a story? And our favorite stories, whether they're from Tolkien or Lewis or some other favorite author, often become woven into our family's lore and and even our sense of identity. And I think with good stories, that's a good thing because they shape our hearts and souls in important ways. And I honestly think that's why Jesus told so many stories. Jesus knew the power of of a good story. And when new stories emerge that engage our hearts and imagination in delightful ways, it's a thing of wonder. Hmm. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host of the Plugged In Show, focused on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks for joining us today. Well, by now you're probably wondering which story I'm talking about. And the answer is the one from writer and singer Andrew Peterson. It's called The Wing Feather Saga. Now it's not exactly new, first one came out way back in 2008, which feels like a long time ago, and then goes through four books that were published through 2014. Well, now Wingfeather has used the same crowdfunding model that The Chosen used, and this beloved Christian fantasy book series has become an animated series as well. And this week, Paul Acey talks to not only Peterson, but the show's producer, J. Chris Wall. And in our second segment, another much-loved franchise from back in the day, the 1980s, 1988 to be precise, (laughs) returns for an encore performance in a new TV version. And that series is called Willow. And Paul, Bob, Hoos, and I will unpack everything you need to know about the latest Disney Plus show aiming at young audiences. Before we jump in, I would also encourage you to follow The Plugged In Show wherever you get your podcasts. Take a minute to leave a review for others who might be wondering what it is all about. And as you might have guessed already, joining me today are Paul Acey and Bob Hoos. Welcome, gentlemen. Hello. Hello. Well, since we're talking about throwback reboots, that being Willow, I thought it would be fun to brainstorm what reboot I mean there's only like three things left right (laughs) (laughs) so there's one for each of us to pick from (laughs) so choose wisely (laughs) if you could reboot any old TV show or movie uh, I'm not going to like put really tight parameters on this what would you love to see a new version of and why go go okay I'll go Uh, you know when you bring it up, my mind automatically goes back to the uh, like 60s and 70s shows, shows that you don't see that kind of show anymore. Yeah. Uh, I, and because I always, as a kid, I, I remember 
loving these broad fantasy shows, these things that that just captured your imagination, like like for example, I Dream of Jeannie uh-huh. or My Mother the Car. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> People don't even know what these shows Bob, are. I have never heard of my uh, mother. Is that well, real? Or did a, you no, just it was. Make it, that was up? it was. A, it was a. It was a, about this guy who had a car that was sort of haunted by his mother. It's. A, I know a really bizarre. Well, I'm going to go look it up. <laughs> really bizarre, but that 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 kind of a broad fantasy show. I'd love to see remade again because we tend to either be really dark these days in a lot of our TV shows or focused on trying to push some sort of cultural agenda and I'd like to see something just broad and fantasy and whimsical okay very good and I would like to see my mother the car, the car. yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah I've never seen the show it's but probably I've on YouTube yeah so I would be very interested to check that out Paul what so, are you bringing for us you know I am going to go exactly like Hoos only different only different and because this will be I'm two gonna out go, of the three shows available and I'm, I will have been taken <laughs> I'm gonna go dark and with a with a an agenda and it would be a remake of Gilligan's Island <laughs> And what would the agenda be exactly? Well, see, here you go. You the the island is filled with all these archetypes, right? Yeah, you've got yeah. the you've got the capitalist, you've got these this worker boss dynamic brainy going scientist. on. Brainy scientist, you've got elements of sexism in there. I think you could really yeah, yeah. remake Gilligan's Island into a taut, grim Breaking Bad type of story. Well, you know they did that. (laughs) It was actually called Lost. (laughs) No? No, 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 no. No. That doesn't work. Okay. So a taut and grim version of Gilligan's Island. Yeah. Also, note to self, pray for Paul this week. He's not in a good space. (laughs) Or or don't let Disney hear about it because we may see it. So I'm going to go with something slightly more whimsical, less taut, and less grim. Less grim. Um, I'm going to go with uh, the Hanna-Barbera cartoon, The Herculoids. Oh, oh, The Herculoids. I want to see a live-action version of The Herculoids. Oh, that would be really great. And, I would be totally on board for and, that. And then, because it's my question and I'm hosting, my second choice would be Johnny no, Quest. You, and then we'll follow it up with Johnny, Johnny Quest. Quest. How about McGilla Gorilla? McGill yeah. Gorilla, you ever see that one? Another show I've never heard of. <laughs> Captain, what about what about Captain, Captain Caveman? Caveman? Yeah. yeah, that would be awesome too. Yeah. Anyway, the train is now officially off the rails. The Herculoids, right. but I think the Herculoids would be fantastic you as know, a movie. Honestly, Adam, I would love to do just a full podcast on the Herculoids. Whoa! Love the. Herculoids. I mean, I think we'd get three or four listens. Yeah, that's easy. right. A lot of people <laughs> listen to that one. <laughs> All right. Well, I love those choices. And now we're going to hear from Paul as he talks to the folks behind the new Wing Feather series. Hey, I'm talking about the Wing Feather Saga, Angel Studios' upcoming animated show with two people who know more about Wing Feather than anyone else on the planet. Andrew Peterson, who actually wrote the Wing Feather Saga, and J. Chris Wall, an animated veteran who, along with Andrew, is executive producing the series. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It's really thrilled to talk to you guys. Uh, Andrew, I wanted to start with you because you are kind of a triple threat in the world of entertainment, right? You started off as a singer. You started writing these best-selling books, The Wing Feather Saga. Now you're executive producing this television show. Um, what drove you to writing, first of all? I mean, did, was that something that you have always wanted to do even when you were, when you were doing your musical career? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I so you know the kind of songs that I write are tend to be pretty story driven. Um, I'm kind of a word nerd, um, so I'm way way more of a, a songwriter than a singer. Um, and in that, you know, I, I knew that I I didn't have some amazing voice, so I was going to focus on the lyrics. And so, you know, that I just have always been a pretty bookish kid who uh, read poetry and loved to draw, and 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 so I was drawn to stories. But then, you know, I, music is the thing that just kind of was the thing that I ended up doing. But meanwhile, I had carried in my in my heart this dream that one day I'd get a chance to write a fantasy novel. Just because I grew up reading those books, I I loved them dearly, and so uh, yeah, it was like it was reading the Narnia books to my kids when they were old enough for them that kind of made me go, "All right, I've got to know what this is like. I want to write a, a big story that we can read with our kids together." And um, yeah, that's kind of how it started. Yeah, that's fascinating, you know, because I grew up on Narnia too. Uh, read them to my kids. Um, this is a question for both of you. Um, I know that, that the Narnia books was deeply influential. I know that, that when we do anything at Plugged In over the Lord of the Rings or anything and connected with it, it's, it gets a huge response. Is there something about the genre of fantasy? And Wing, the Wing Feather Saga is definitely a fantasy. Is there something about the genre that allows storytellers to tell some more powerful spiritual truths? Oh my good heavens. Uh, <laughs> Andrew and I both were grew up like reading fantasy books, you know, by secular authors. And then of course, Lord of the Rings and, and Narnia. And y- what you're driving at is what's that interesting difference between there? Because there's something that Tolkien and Lewis could do in their stories that maybe others didn't. Right. And um, it's, it, it feels passive to me. So as just a reader of books like these for our family, there's something you can feel in the storyteller in the worldview that starts to move things. And that little bit of separation to fairy tale, right. Uh, allows, I think your mind and heart to open up and consider choices characters are making outside of what you experience in your day to day, right. In your town, in your city, in your nation, um, that you can consider truths spiritually, uh, truths that are, you know, political in nature, other things like that in a fairy tale context that you would shut your minds off as C.S. Lewis talks about the watchful dragons, right? That say <laughs> in our conscious mind that say, no, I won't let that in. Uh, that stories have a way of doing something else. And fantasy stories in particular for our family have been some of the most powerful experiences. Of course, Lord of the Rings. And I did Lord of the Rings as a read aloud with my kids. I don't recommend it. <laughs> it's so hard. It's so long. Once you start getting uh, in that Elvish, it's just, it's downhill from there. Oh my gosh. The Council of Elrond never ends. <laughs> um, but the uh, uh, it, reading Andrew's books actually were really fun when he first introduced me to them because they had short chapters. <laughs> uh, and, yes. <laughs> Uh, but there is something in those stories that does, uh, that's really special. And, and it was something that was very personally affecting to me as we read the story um, with my six kids, just finding like, wow, that's actually, Andrew had written in this, the stories are true uh, as a note to me. And I was like, uh, like, no, man, it's like talking lizards. It's not true. Like we're talking about, <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's true in that the experience. And I think whether you're reading Narnia and you're reading about the, the journey of those kids, you like what they're experiencing is true to my own experience. It's very different in its setting, but what's happening between the characters and the choices they make and the repercussions, the redemption that's possible, all that is true. And I think that is something pretty magical in fantasy stories. Yeah, yeah. So you were familiar with the Wingfeather saga before this whole project started, right? Correct. Yeah, I had I, Andrew had given me the books along the journey, like in 2008. Said, "Hey, I wrote a book," and I was like, "Oh, 
because I knew him as a singer songwriter, right? And quite skilled. And I was like, oh, a book. That's I don't know that I can accept that. It's like, you know, <laughs> Steve, Steve Martin saying I'm playing banjo. You're like, and telling jokes? Like, <laughs> no, no, I'm actually gonna so I read it somewhat out of obligation because I knew I'd see him again and it'd be awkward. <laughs> and so when I read it to my kids, they were like, this is really fun. I'm like, I know, this is great, you know. And then by the second, third, and fourth books, it just it deeply affected our family, me personally reading aloud and crying and like, I'm not a crier, but the story really <laughs> moved in, in really powerful ways. So yes, yeah, so along that journey as they uh, released, uh, got to be part of that. And then he and I started talking about working together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to ask about the collaboration, how that came about. I mean, because this is a very, very ambitious project. Um, and the idea that it's crowdfunded, you know, it's apparently the biggest crowdfunded family show in history up to this point is that right how did it is we have to use the word family because there's another adult animated series that that has beaten us but we're going to catch them uh but yeah uh, it's crazy and 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 this is all andrew because he'd done a kickstarter for the fourth book and was like i believe in the community of people to support this kind of thing um yeah and they have Really cool. Really cool. It's got to be a scary project to sort of dive into, you know, because you're putting out so much work and you don't necessarily know. I mean, I know that Wingfeather has has a huge following, but you don't necessarily know how people are going to receive this animated version. So I would imagine that it's pretty gratifying to see kind of how people did respond and how they did uh, funnel money into this project. Yeah, it's it's been amazing to see. And, and you know, it's still a little scary. It's a huge like, I, I don't think until this process that I ever came close to appreciating how much work goes into a 30 minute episode of an animated show. <laughs> like, it is mind blowing, you know, yeah. and it, it, it seeing it happen from the inside has softened my critique of so many things that I didn't like. I would be like, man, that may not have been good, but somebody worked really, really hard to try to make it good. You yeah. know, so it's kind of a it's a miracle when all of those pins line up perfectly and it all ends up not only being beautiful to look at but being a beautiful story and that it's entertaining and it works on all the levels and so you know that's what we hope happens with this story but i just i remember apologizing to chris you know when we were like three years into this process and i realized that you know he hadn't slept for 72 hours and he was doing all this work i was like we, you know when i suggested that we do this i had no idea what i was really asking it and uh and same is true of the the team it's just this incredible team of animators that have worked so hard and like we're right here now on the verge of getting to share that work with the world and uh, i could not be prouder of so let me ask you about the collaboration process itself, you know, because I would imagine that there's always going to be a little bit of attention, especially with you, Andrew, as, as the writer. Not everything in the book is going to make it to the screen. How does that collaboration work as you're trying to decide how to bring these these novels to this quote unquote television ad- audience? How does that work? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the part of the reason, uh, and Chris, you can jump in whenever you want, but part of the reason I was so excited about doing this as a series and not just a standalone film is that we would have time to stretch out a little bit and really get into the, all the corners of the world. You know, we wouldn't have to cut quite so much out, but I also uh, like, I'm not, it it may sound pretentious to say that I'm like a student of television and film or whatever. (laughs) I'm definitely not, but I am, uh, I love it. Like I, I do enjoy that kind of storytelling. And so I didn't come into it with any illusions that we would have to be rigid about translating every single scene to the screen um, and so it was really fun, to be honest, to sit in the room with the writers and what and, you know, they worked for a week, you know, to try to like break down book one into season one and figure out what the little individual story arcs would be. 
and I felt like the between the novels and the series, like we've gotten closer to the heart of what the actual story is than if we had only done one of the two. Does that make sense? Oh, that's interesting. So it's not ex- it's not exactly the same, but it's like the metaphor of the elephant. You know, it's right. kind of like this is the books are coming out of this way, the 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 TV shows coming out of this way, and I think that it's, it's all, they're all pointing toward like the true heart of what this story is. And so it's kind of a fun chance to see it through another lens. That's really interesting. So really, even though, even though you wrote these books, you feel like, like this screen version of them brings out new facets to the story that you always wanted to tell. Definitely. Definitely. And one of the cool things about like, it's, it's pretty rare for an author to get to be in the room for this stuff. (laughs) You know, usually, usually you just kind of sign it over and then that's it. Cause there's too many cooks in the kitchen. So I feel very, uh, honored that I get to be a part of it. And so very every now and then, you know, I'll be like, hey, you know, this that isn't it doesn't quite line up with who Janner is as a character or um, whatever. You know, there's something that's going to happen later in the books that we need to make sure that we're careful and thinking about now. But for the most part, um, you know, using the books as the source material, uh, the team has just honored that and worked really hard to keep the show as true to the books as they can. That's great. And we really, you know, essentially we talked about a lot as a team, imagining Andrew as some sort of documentarian who had observed the story in a real time and wrote his version, right? And then now we get to come and tell our version. It won't break what he saw, but can be a fresh experience. Because one of the things about adaptation, there's a reason the Oscars give, uh, you know, awards for adaptation is because you can make derivative real easily, Right. Where you do a People say they want page for page adaptation. <laughs> no, they don't. Right. It's super boring. Uh, and in, in our case, it's like what could make a fresh experience for an audience? It's the same story they love, but told in a way that's unique. Obviously, it's on television. So it's half hour episodes. So automatically that format is different. But what can we do visually that, that Andrew couldn't do? What can we do to get, you know, inside characters that isn't the author telling you what's going on in those characters? All that kind of work. One, makes it a fresh experience, and then also stays true to the story elements that worked. One of the things that Andrew's gotten to do over the years is some read-alouds. Oh, cool. That's like playing a concert, right? right? So he has an intrinsic understanding of like, here's the things that I know worked, that really played well, that the audience really responded to, that they've gone on message boards and chatted about. Like, here's what I know, so let's make sure we protect those things. Uh, and then you just kind of back into the process because for us, we knew we wanted to tell the first book in the first season, and we have six episodes that are half hours each. Okay, start to break it down. Well, this episode does this work? And then you go through your television formatting to kind of get all that sorted out. Um, and the other thing I will tell you, when you start along a long narrative journey, because we hope to tell the whole story, all four books over seven seasons, is that we have a great ending. Uh, and there's some confidence that comes to the storyteller when you know, oh, this ends well. And many of our team have read the books or listened to audiobooks of them, and they have that same sensation so as I'm setting off on that journey, it's not unlike fellowship where like I can spend some time in the Shire because I'm headed to Mount Doom yeah, and it's going to be awesome, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like you just know. And I think I, the, the joy for me of finishing the series when I read it for the first time and going, oh my, this ended so well. This huge epic serialized story um, that didn't do what Lost did to so many of us and just break us over so much <laughs> bad stories. Um, we could go into know, that, that, but that's another, so that's another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> But it does. It gives you a lot of confidence, storyteller. And we have a, one of our big points of inspiration was Avatar Airbender, yep. the Nickelodeon series mm-hmm. uh, that just unfolded so beautifully and was both playful, winsome, and then epic. And I think that that one stands as for us kind of a North Star of like, that's the experience we'd love to create where it was created for a certain kid audience, but 
uh, adults and teens were like, no, no, this is our baby, you know, and all could access. And that's the kind of story we'd like to tell here. And the, the format of what Andrew had written was just perfect for it. Yeah, yeah, very cool. One of the things is, as I was watching the first episode that really struck me was the style of animation. You know, I, I think oftentimes in the the world of CGI that we live in, sometimes the animation can all look kind of the same across a lot of different platforms. This is totally unique, totally different. It felt almost watercolory in some ways. Uh, tell me a little bit about how that came about. Man, okay, so it starts with curiosity uh, that CGI animation was created to make photoreal imagery. It was its core idea at the beginning of it. And it's been on a journey to create that through lots of great scientists and machinery and otherwise. And it began with this question of, but could CGI do something else? And that started back in 2016 when Andrew and I first got together. We got with my good friend, Keith Lango, who is our animation philosopher. And he said, hey, guys, I've been thinking for a long time about could animation be just done differently as an art form? Uh, that yes, John Lasseter set something in motion with Pixar, and he really did build the industry about this is how CGI shall be made. And yet what we see is a lot of times there is um, a cheap version of that's offered, right? And so it's a derivative. It's especially in independent and in television animation, it's the cheaper version and everything feels a little thin and, and kind of brought down. And I said, how do we grapple with this? Because I don't want to make that. I want craft. The other important thing that had happened is we had gotten these art of books uh, while I was at DreamWorks. Mm -hmm. All of us at Sitco's mm -hmm. all get those. And we're like, oh, my gosh, the art in this is so beautiful. And something about when it went into the computer, it got a little antiseptic. Like, what could we do to keep the purity of this? The artist actually having their, you could see their handprints on the frame. And that brought about this kind of introduction of a style and, frankly, some technology that allowed us to bring uh, that uh, right on screen uh, so the artist's painting is exactly what you're seeing. And we have characters that are CGI in a, in a hand-painted world. When an audience engages in a story that is pixel-perfect, photoreal, their imagination is turned off, right. really. Right. It's just, it's all right there on screen. We wanted to go more abstract, to invite the audience in, to engage your imagination about what they're seeing. That In a, the greatest of 2D films, uh, Miyazaki, of course, is wonderful at this. You hint at something that's there, but you don't give it all and let the audience go, I wonder what that is, and leave it. Let the magic kind of unfold visually as much as you're doing in the story. Um, and so those were key targets. And when we first tested this, actually, back in 2017 with a short film, we had studios everywhere, Netflix, Paramount, Apple, everybody look at this and go, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> but they said, well, we don't think audiences will accept it. They really want the Pixar look. And we were oh, so interesting. Like, hmm. We were like, no, there's a glut of CGI, as you said. Everybody's seen this. We, we, you got to change. Not long after Spider Man Spider Verse came out, <laughs> and suddenly the whole industry went on second thought. We're interested. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so we find ourselves kind of on the leading edge. In but after a long journey, again, we started this in twenty. Really, it was fall of 2015 when we first did our first render and testing of this of this kind of approach to visual development. Yeah, yeah. It is interesting. One of the things that, that struck me about that answer was just the idea of using the animation to allow the imagination to flourish. You know, because I think that that can be a danger, especially if you're a word person. When you bring something to screen, all of a sudden people look at the characters and they're not quite how they visualized it. But this sort of allows imagination to, to sort of grow within the audience, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, you said it well. I don't know how to add anything to what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> I will say one of the things, you know, that a lot of people say they want to do that, but then in practice they get nervous and they, yeah. they bring it down. 
Yeah. And they, and they, you know, you do George Lucas and you make midichlorians, like you just don't <laughs> let it flow. And I think I will say, this is one of the things that, that coming into this out of edutales and, and just kind of out of the kind of Christian side of this, you know, we, we engaged to set a fantasy series in motion. We are both Christians, but we didn't set out to do a Christian fantasy series because that becomes something else. We set out to make a really cool fantasy series that lots of people can engage with something in our tradition of kind of Christian storytelling United States has really fallen into didactic where we, we are scared of mystery and we, we want to get everything nailed down. You know, that like, we can't let Gandalf be Gandalf. We go Gandalf. Okay. You know who he is, right? (laughs) uh, You're ruining it. We want to let the mystery unfold. And that, that takes some intentional choices because you do as a storyteller want to draw people to, you see that choice that character made, you see how that's important Mm -hmm. in your own Mm -hmm. life. And like, uh, let that just do what it does to be a really Go ahead. Uh, sorry, I was just going to say that a friend of mine told me the Wingfeather saga isn't overtly Christian, but it is deeply Christian. Mm-hmm. And so there's this idea that like, yeah, we're just trying to tell a fantasy story, but we're also allowing room for the Holy Spirit to do what he wants with it. That's fantastic. Yeah. And, and you do have to be trusting of your audience that they're going to draw those dots for themselves. And sometimes those dots might, might not be drawn until second or third or fourth work time through. Sure. Sure. So, yeah. Andrew, when you were writing this, you, you've mentioned somewhere that you really wanted to write something that you as a 10-year-old would have loved to read. When you look at the books, who, what of the three main kids that are part of it do you find yourself most associating with as your 10-year-old you? Uh, Jenner, who's sort of a, a bookish type of kid, uh, Tink, very athletic, or just sweet little Lily. <laughs> Uh, man, sweet little Lily, uh, has a pretty awesome story arc. I can't wait for people to see, uh, but <laughs> the, you know, it's kind of like the question I, when I go to schools and kids ask me, who's your favorite character? Uh, I never know the answer to that question. I'm always just kind of like, man, it depends on what I have for breakfast. I just, <laughs> some days it's Pete the sock man, some days it's Janner, but you know, the truth is there's a little bit of the author in all of those characters in some of their strengths, but especially in their weaknesses. You know, there was a day when toward the end of the series, and I hope this doesn't spoil anything, but, but you know, I was so inside Janner's head for the four books, you know, 10 years of, of telling the story, 99% of it through his perspective. And, um, and it wasn't until I got to the fourth book that I, it occurred to me that his, what his central flaw was. Mm. And I was kind of like, oh, that's what's going on here. You know, as the author of the story, I was kind of like, surprised to find that it could all be boiled down to one kind of brokenness that he he was operating out of and and man that could not be truer to me like there's so many times in my life where i'll i'll interpret something one way and then 10 years later i look back and i'm like oh man was i wrong i I didn't even (laughs) realize what was broken in me that led to that situation so i think in that sense it's like all three of the kids, um, I wanted them to feel like real characters. You know, they round characters is how people put it. So like you you think that you understand what who a character is and then they do something surprising. And then upon reflection, you realize that that surprising thing was still in line with who they were as a character, right? Um, and that's how people are. That's how we are. And so um, as for the 10-year-old kid part of me, it just, it kind of just boils down to me trying to find a way to keep the kids turning pages uh, make the story as wonderful and fascinating and painful and beautiful as I possibly could, um, all in the hopes that it would get at that 
mysterious kind of flutter in the stomach that we all kind of know. Like there are moments in certain stories where we feel this transcendent moment or a pot or like the story is more than itself sometimes. Um, and that is something that the author isn't in control of. That's something like, it would like, it's kind of like when you, you know, tell somebody about Jesus, you're like, you can tell the story as well as you can. And sometimes it works and it gets the person's attention and sometimes it doesn't. Right. But the, our job is to just kind of be obedient to telling that story and to entrust the results to the Lord. And so I kind of feel like that with the wing feather saga. I'm my job. I've got no control over what the story is going to do in somebody, but I do want to set the table, you know, and try to allow for the possibility of something wonderful. Wow. Wow. That's great. Andrew, Chris, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate having the chance to talk with you about this. Wing Feather Saga on December 2nd is when it launches. Is that correct? Yeah. Coming up. Big day. Big day. Thanks so much for being with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Good to see you. Well, now it's time for our second segment. And I thought... Coming out of the conversation, Paul, that you just had with the Wingfeather folks, um, I know, Bob, you have been reading the first Wingfeather book. And before we dive into Willow, I would love to just hear kind of what your experience of the book has been since we've been talking about the TV series. Well, I picked it up thinking that we might review it as a book review and then realized, oh, we already did. We already Already did. (laughs) Way back when. We're so good. We did it 14 years ago. That's right. We already reviewed the first book. But I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was such a well-written book. You know, you mentioned it being a Christian series. Yeah. But the fact is it doesn't. It has lots of really nice moral lessons in it. But it's not something where you where you would worry, oh, is this going to feel preachy to my kids when they read it or something? It's not that at all. In fact, it's a great adventure yarn, really well written and very immersive. And you really, you get into these characters and the way the author just sort of weaves this tale is so inviting and and lots of great adventure too. It's And it's essentially about, the first one anyway, is essentially about these three siblings and their family and and this fantasy world that they live in. Uh, over overseen by these things called fangs yeah. of the dang, yeah. you know, and yeah. uh, it uh, I don't know if that because I've only read the first one. I don't know if that carries on throughout the series, but uh, it's it's very, very good. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, well, it was just fascinating to talk with these guys about sort of that creation. And, you know, one of the things that I mentioned to them was just ask them about whether fantasy just if there's something about the genre that really allows these stories to flourish, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that, that and the short answer was yes, right? The short answer was <laughs> yes. I think that it does give a lot of freedom to to sort of talk about some cool stuff. Well, yeah. yeah. And see, you can talk about moral ideas and, and talk about uh, moral themes in a fantasy world. It seems so much easier than in the realistic world. Right. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I've never tried to write a fantasy novel, but it it feels like it would lend itself to these broad concepts so much easier than something, yeah. you know, nuts and bolts from yeah, today. Yeah, and you can talk about these big, broad, important concepts without it feeling like you're being hit over the head. Right. right. I love that. And I, I also love, and then we'll transition over to talking about Willow, I also love having a new story franchise on the horizon. I was not yeah. familiar with Wing Feather before we began to get some press releases on it earlier this year, but I love having a new story to dive into and it sounds like both in print and on the screen this is going to be a delightful one for families. So, that is a perfect segue to my next question, which is Willow. Uh, Willow. And, and we're going to find out whether the new TV 
Reboot is a delightful one for families. But uh, those of us of a certain age who might have been around in 1988 and going to movies probably remember Willow. But my guess is there are a lot of people who aren't familiar with the original movie. So let's let's start by sort of backing up the train a little bit and give us just a little bit of background about the original movie from 1988 and then where and how this new series on Disney Plus connects to that. So, guys, what do we need to know about the original? And then, Paul, you can tell us about the new one. So the original Willow was actually sort of made at a time when CGI was in its very, very earliest it's stages. infancy. It's infancy, exactly. And back in that day, you know, fantasy stories were a little bit, they weren't Lord of the Rings, right? They right. weren't Game <laughs> of Thrones. They were fun. They were, they were light. They tended to have a lot of, you know, some of them now, we look at them and they're a little bit campy. Willow was sort of dark right on crystal. the edge. <laughs> dark Crystal was not campy. That no, was, it was just dark. I'm thinking and Legend. Were... I'm thinking Kroll. Yes, yes. So, oh, Kroll. Oh, man. Wow, we need a Kroll podcast, too. Yeah. <laughs> right after the Herculoids. <laughs> right after the Herculoids. So, essentially, the story is, uh, it revolves around this little baby, Princess Alora. Uh, she is supposedly this, this person who is has been prophesied to take down this evil queen. The queen wants to kill her. I've seen this one before. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, and, and it's interesting because it's it has... It's kind of Disney-ish, right? It's kind of Disney-ish, and it's a little bit biblical because what happens is they actually rescue this little baby by putting her on this raft of grass, essentially, puts her in a river. I've seen that one Goes before. down Where to this... Where did they get that story? It's amazing. Does Yule Brenner show up at some point? <laughs> Goes down. <laughs> and it, it arrives in this Nelwyn village. The Nelwins are these shorter people, right? Yeah. Dwarves. Uh, it, and it finds its way to this want-to-be sorcerer named Willow. Who's played by Warwick Davis, right? Exactly. And then it becomes sort of this rollicking adventure story. Oh, I love where rollicking. <laughs> <laughs> where you gather all these people in to save this little girl and take down the evil queen. Okay, so that's the movie. That's the movie. And it came out, you know, 35 years ago-ish. Right. I'm an English major. I'm not going to do that math in my head. I don't want to hurt myself. Um, so, so what now? What's happening with Willow circa 2022? Circa 2022, we are looking at the story picking up decades later. So it's not a reboot. It is not a reboot. It's a sequel. It is a sequel. That is exactly right. It is a continuation of the story. Alora has grown up now, but no one really knows who she is, including Alora herself. She's sort of been hidden away. Um, but now there's sort of there's been a lot of peace in the kingdom now. Oh, One that of the can't main be good. characters from <laughs> from the original movie. She is now she is now queen of this kingdom. Okay. She is about to uh, create this this alliance with a neighboring kingdom through a marriage. She is marrying off her daughter to the other king's son. This is an issue because the daughter um, she actually is. She has feelings for her female best friend. Oh. So. Okay. There you go. So there you go. Um, I was just about to say, well, how did they modernize it? There you go. <laughs> there you go. So her name is Kit. She is not very thrilled with this marriage. That's sort of the setup. But as they are sort of doing the pre-marriage banquet or whatnot, uh, evil forces <laughs> attack this kingdom, kidnap Kit's 
twin brother zips him off to his, who his name knows Kat? where. No, <laughs> that's Kat, kind it? of funny. I know, right? That's kind of funny. His name is See, Eric. Emily's actually. not here to mock my dad jokes <laughs> this week. <laughs> so he's spirited away. And then, of course, we need to have another rollicking adventure to rescue Eric from these evil forces. My brother was abducted. The world needs you again. It needs your magic. Follow me. We must go beyond the edge of our world into the unknown. Kat rallies a lot of people together. She has her best friend and love interest as part of the party. The prince is part of the party. They have this guy, this sort of swashbuckling character. Swashbuckling uh, and rollicking? <laughs> exactly. Oh, he's exactly. still my beating he's a scallywag. Yeah. He is oh, a scallywag. Oh, he's a too. <laughs> wow. His name is Borman. He becomes part of the team. And then they have this kitchen maid, essentially. She's really good at making muffins. She sort of sneaks along because she was Eric's latest love interest. And she thinks that Eric is her true love. So she sort of hitches a ride with this group. They go out to find Willow, who is one of the very last people who can use magic. And magic is the only thing that will save this kingdom. And Willow probably looks like... Gandalf at this point, low these many years later. He is he has held up pretty well. He's held I will up pretty just, well. I will just okay. say that. You know how magic works, you know. <laughs> right? <laughs> so that's essentially the setup of this story. They are going on another fantastic adventure to rescue this prince and save the world. So obviously in just what you've described, the same sex attraction is going to be one of the things that anybody who watches this is going to have to to navigate. Um, what other things turn up here? That yeah, I, I was going to ask, does it still have the same kind of fantasy feel mm -hmm. as yeah. before? Yeah. Or have they, have they readjusted? No, it really does have the same feel to it. You know, the original Willow was light. It was yeah. funny. It wasn't meant to be taken too seriously. This one feels very much like it. You can think of sort of a worse version of the Princess Bride in a way. You know, <laughs> they because... should advertise it that way. <laughs> Poor man's Princess Bride. Well, it, it sort of has that better feel CGI. to it. It's, it's, it is this romp. This adventure story that we're just supposed to sail along with. Yeah. Um, and so because of that, it has a lot of humor in it. Uh, it has it's this is definitely not kind of rings of power. If you're familiar with that, you know, this soaring epic story. It is not that this feels this feels a little bit more whimsical. Um, Whimsical. I think that that's Sorry, a good I, word. I, I, you know, we had rollicking, swashbuckling, and now whimsical. You got to fill in all those words. Exactly. Right? If I feel like we need bingo cards, we that's do right. need <laughs> bingo cards. I think that would be great. So, uh, so it does have that same sort of feel, the same sort of humor. Now, yeah. the original Willow had some risque humor attached to it as well, and this is no exception. You will okay. have some sexual body. illusions. It's body is probably a little bit too strong, but you do have some double entendres. Okay. You have some definitely some winking asides that the adults will get. Depending on how young the kids are, they might not catch them, okay. but you never know. Well, the original was pretty weak, too, to be honest. I mean, in terms of a physical film, <laughs> you know, I it actually, was just sort of like... Paul loved it. Uh, I didn't love it. and I'll, But I'll tell you what, it holds up better than you would think it would. You know, I watched it just a few months ago, and I I think I enjoyed it more now really? than I did back then. 
So I think it really actually interesting, actually. Yeah, it it, it actually holds up better than you would expect. And as a nostalgia experience for adults who saw it when we were but we lads the first time, does this build on the story in a way that feels satisfying, even though we've obviously got some content caveats that are fairly significant? So I haven't seen the entire series, of course, but I think that the the story itself... It probably feels a little like I felt about the original movie back in the day. <laughs> back in the day, okay. where it feels fun yet disappointing. Um, you're going to have some other issues as parents. Obviously, the same sex attraction is going to be a big deal. There's a lot of violence that you're going to have to deal with. The magic is part of the story, mm-hmm. um, so you're going to have um, some things to navigate. And, and the language so, is pretty harsh. Yeah, whimsical, but see note below. Exactly. Exactly. So it's a fun diversion. It's not one of those things where you will say, man, Willow is the best show of this year. Um, But, you know, I think for families that can navigate some of the content issues that we have here. It might, you know, there are there are worse ways to spend an, an evening for sure. And if you can't, a poor man's Princess Bride, yeah. <laughs> there are worse ways to spend an evening. <laughs> you know, if that it's, doesn't make you want to watch this show, yeah, I don't know right. what will. And, it's and you know, fun. if if it's if all fun. else fails, you we can do a letter writing campaign about doing my mother the car. You know, we can send them out. Let's get this one going. I think that feels like an appropriate place to park this conversation <laughs> under the willow tree. No, that was a, a that was a stretch. That was too far, too far. Well, <laughs> thanks, Paul, for bringing us up to speed on the latest reboot to land on Disney Plus. Well, now it's time for a part of the show we like to call Name That Movie, and we will give you a rollicking, whimsical, probably not body description of a movie that exaggerates some characteristic. Because we're scallywags. Is, because right, we're scallywags. because we're scallywags, and, and some of us even have nefarious moments. Um, <laughs> and uh, the rest of us, which I guess is the two who aren't talking, will have to guess what it is. So... Mm-hmm. Who wants to lead off on Name That Movie? Sure, Paul, you can go. Oh, my goodness. You've been voluntold. (laughs) That that doesn't seem appropriate. You should go first. Okay, I will. No way, really? A man in a boat does battle with a flaming mountain. Oh. A man in a boat does battle with a flaming mountain. Joe versus the volcano? Joe versus the volcano. Oh, wow. And that's an obscure film, too. Most people at home will say, what? i got to look that one up. Right? There you go. That was a weird movie. It was a weird movie. Okay. Another podcast, another time. Yeah. Mine's much more mainstream. Hercules. Um, Let's see. A brawny protagonist climbs a building, peeps... And then screams at the world. Peeps and screams. King Kong? Yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> yes, indeed. I'm like, how many brawny protagonists climbing building Climb movies? Building. Are, it's you know, gotta I, be King Kong. I didn't I want was, to say climbs a skyscraper. You'd get it just like that. See, I was, gonna, I was gonna go King Kong, but the screaming part. Well, he gets to the top and goes, Rah! Screaming. Yeah, that's, that's, right? Because planes. Okay. It's more of a roar than a scream. Paul? Well, that's how gorillas, giant gorillas gotcha. scream. They gotcha, always, gotcha. It's a roar. Okay, here's mine. A girl conquers a world of kings, queens, and castles, and along the way saves her and her family from crushing poverty. Oh, I was going to say Alice in Wonderland when you started, but uh, 
I'll read it. Say it again. A girl conquers a world of kings, queens, and castles, and along the way saves her and her family from crushing poverty. You know, I feel like this game is really hard. Because <laughs> I'm going to need more. All right. So it's based on a true story. Uh, Do I get a prize if you don't get it? Maybe. All right, good. Bob, you got anything? No. Hmm. Do we get one more clue? One more clue. She comes from Uganda. Wow, you're making it harder, actually. <laughs> Mike, I don't you know, know, my Uganda file is totally empty. <laughs> That's right. So you're just going to have to tell us. What is it? The Queen of Cotway. Oh, man, that was... Now, that's an obscure film. Now, it, it is... See, mine movie... was obscure, but it was straightforward. I, I'll tell Man you Man fights what. Flaming Mountain, Joe versus <laughs> the Volcano. I practically told you what it was. One of the reasons why I brought it up is because it is a movie that I think our audience would really oh, okay. dig. Okay, so you there have you an go. ulterior okay. motive with Yeah, it's a right. really great movie. It's a fantastic movie about this girl who learns how to play chess. Okay. And the original King Kong. Is a is a film that I think our audience would like too. The original, right? The original, not the nineteen seventy seven no, no, version. I wouldn't go there, but or the later one. No. Actually, right. the you know the original it was well before CGI, but it was still amazing. Yep, I agree. And poor King Kong. But anyway, we don't have that kind of time. <laughs> and speaking of time, we'd like to say thank you to those of you listening today for spending some of yours with us. We love having a chance to talk to you each week about all the stuff happening in the realm of pop culture and technology. And we hope to be a place of encouragement and fun, but also really maybe giving you something that keeps you in the game. Because sometimes as parents, it can just feel overwhelming. How do we deal with all this stuff that's out there? I don't even know what it is. And weeks like this one, we give you maybe some great alternatives to consider entertainment wise. Because Heaven knows there are enough weeks where we're calling stuff out that's problematic. True. I'm thankful for stories like the Wing Feather Saga yeah. because they give us a great, great alternative. And if you've enjoyed the show, tell your friends about it. That's the best way to get our show out there. And you can also leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. We'd also love to hear from you. Our Willow or Wing Feather on your radar to check out? Tell us why or why not. And, you know, it could be maybe you've been a super fan of one or the other or both for a very long time. And and let us know if you want to actually hear a Herculoids podcast. Oh, the Herculoids <laughs> podcast. I It might be... Well, I guess we'll just have to do it and see how it goes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but you can always get in touch with us on Facebook or Instagram or send us a message at team at the plugged in show.com. And maybe we'll even feature your message on an upcoming episode. So send them our way. And as our thanks for being a part of the plugged in show today for a gift of any amount, we'd love to send you a copy of Jonathan McKee's book, parenting generation screen. You'll find a link to order that book in the episode notes for today's show and on the blog entry for this week's conversation. Well, thanks again for spending some time with us today. We appreciate you. We appreciate of all of the stuff out there that you are choosing to spend your time with us. So be sure to come back next week and we will have another rollicking, swashbuckling conversation about pop culture and technology on The Plugged In Show. A mysterious phone call and a new nemesis? Emily Jones and Matthew Parker are on the case. I just need to find out who this person is. 
Oh, it sounds like a real mystery. It all starts with a phone caller threatening to blackmail Jones and Parker's friend Jeremy. But this new nemesis won't stop there. Can Emily and Matthew figure out who this blackmailer is before it's too late? Solve the mystery with them by reading Jones and Parker Case Files, The Nemesis. It's the second book in the series with 16 new stories full of fun, faith, and intrigue. It's a great way for kids ages 8 to 12 to sharpen their detective skills while learning important values. Inspect clues, examine the evidence, and try to guess who done it. This is going to be harder than I thought, Mr. Whitaker. Oh, stop saying that, Priscilla. Relax. We're going to have a blast. For more, go to adventuresinodyssey.com slash jonesandparker. That's adventuresinodyssey.com slash jonesandparker.